Hi, welcome to another teaching message from Sycamore Church, Ibadan, Nigeria. Now we're going to be in God's Word. We're rounding off on our Made for More um, series. This is the second week. Everybody's still standing. We're going to make a declaration this morning um, as we prepare our hearts for God's Word. I want everybody, whether you're online or in the building, let's stand in this moment. And if you're comfortable to make a faith declaration with us, please join in this morning. One, two, three, everybody go. God has a plan. Today, through the power of His Word, He's aligning me to what he sees for me. Today I will see Jesus and I will find meaning and purpose in my life. My heart will be set on fire, set aright, and filled with boldness and courage. I receive all that God's word has for me. Bring it on, God. I'm expectant. Who says amen? Please be seated this morning. We're going to stand in a bit for the reading of God's word, but um, just be seated for a few moments as we get into this. All right. Um, so we said that next week is Mothering Sunday, and we'll get to honor and celebrate all the mothers. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but let me just get ahead of myself this morning and, you know, say that mothers, if you have grew up with a good mother, I mean, if you grew up with a mother, you know that mothers can be a lot, you know. Um, and I, I mean that, like mothers can be a lot. Um, mothers have their ways. I'm personally intrigued and amazed at a mother's ability to tie any life occurrence to a habit in your life that they're trying to correct. Any life occurrence so for example you tell your mom i have stomach ache and she's like when your room is always untidy like <laughs> you know or, or, or you or you tell your mom like mom i can't find my bag and she says when every day you stay late watching cartoon <laughs> what was watching cartoon this is the one you probably know when you tell your mom mom i have a headache she says when you're always pressing food <laughs> on their phone, you know, like, like um, mothers have a way of connecting. But, but for all that we know about mothers, um, maybe we, we should admit about how mothers um, can go to any length to get you sorted. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Like your mother can, especially if she's like some very dramatic person, she can go to any length to just make sure you're fine, to get you sorted. You know, you came home from school as a young child and told your mom that one senior in school bullied you and took your bar and all of that. And you just thought you were just telling her. Next day she showed up in school, she went to that class, and she was having like a conversation with that boy and just anything for my child, you know, that kind of thing. Mothers can go to any length. Sometimes it's even ridiculous when you think of what they would do, all right? Um, but um, maybe you know that thing of even a dramatic mother. Um, maybe your father was the kind of person that was like some head of state in your house and you know how your mother will kneel down and be crying and begging him to get something for the children, you know? Like, anyway, okay, maybe you don't want to admit what your father is, but all right. But, but today I want to show you, um, we're going to read a scripture together and we're going to see one of those kind of mothers who will like go to any land for her children right and so if you would stand with me this morning for the reading of God's word Matthew chapter 20 I'm going to be from verse 20 to verse 28 of the 20th book of Matthew Matthew chapter 20 from verse 20 to verse 28 we stand this morning because we want to honor God's word then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons kneeling down and asking something from him and he said to her that's Jesus what do you wish and she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They said to him, we are able. 
So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it is prepared by my father. And when the ten, the other disciples heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you let him be your servant and whoever desires to be first among you let him be your slave just as the son of man did not come to serve to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many who says amen to god's word amen, amen. all right you may be seated let's get into this so look at what's happening in our scripture basically the, the um, zebedee's wife all right the mother of james and john comes to jesus and she's kneeling down kneeling down and the bible literally says she's kneeling down um to jesus and making a request of him and um you know when when this mama comes and she's like kneeling down like ah and leo jesus and leo you know or, or, or maybe you know the typical yoruba woman that is about to cross a road. Have you seen a Yoruba movie? Hey, Joe, you know. This woman basically comes very dramatic and she comes to Jesus and she's like, ah, Jesus. And Bible says she's kneeling down. What do you want? And she says, um, I want my sons to have these great positions in your kingdom. One on your right, one on your left. And she's like, I want greatness in my family. I want a position of influence for my sons. I want them to stand out from their equals. I don't just want them to be like one of the disciples. I want them to stand out. I want the neighbors to all know that as a family, we have arrived. You know, I want the Zebedee dynasty to stand for great things. And all those who laughed at me will know that we have arrived. She's basically saying, I want greatness. But in verse 24 of our reading, the other disciples heard about it. And the Bible says they were greatly displeased. They were upset. They were angry. Let me allow you to feel the emotion of that. In Matthew 20, verse 24, if you read in CJB, it says when the other 10 heard about it, they were outraged at the two brothers. Outraged. Let me show you in the Message Bible. When the 10 heard about it, they lost their tempers. Thoroughly disgusted with the two brothers. Why would your mother do that? Like the Bible says they lost their tempers. Peter was like, like, like what happened? What the, what, what, what the Pharisees did was very bad. You know, he was angry. And the Bible says they were outraged. But the question is, why were they angry? Why were they angry? You know when someone asks for something that you really wanted, but you didn't have the courage to ask for? So, so you went visiting in your auntie's house and your younger brother, your kid brother. There was this chocolate on the table. You had seen it. You wanted it, but ah, you were thinking of how to ask. And your kid brother just went, auntie, can I have the chocolate? And she said, oh, my dear. And she gave, then you now say, why are you disturbing auntie? What's wrong with you? You, just, you wanted it. <laughs> but you didn't have the courage to ask. And if you think I'm making this up, because really, the disciples were all thinking about all these positions in Jesus' kingdom, and then they're angry that somebody brought their mother to ask. And so, if you think I'm making it up, you know, three times in the Gospels, it is recorded that the disciples had a dispute. Three times in the Gospels. Guess what? Interestingly, in all the three instances, it was over the same thing. Who is the greatest? Who should be considered the greatest? Greatness, greatness, greatness. This is one instance we just read. In Luke 9, verse 46, the Bible says there was a dispute among them as to which of them would be greatest, would be greatest. In Luke 22, verse 24, we were just celebrating the communion. Do you know that this was the last supper Jesus was having his disciples in Luke 22? And the Bible says that Jesus was telling them about his body to be broken and, you know, his blood to be poured out and his sacrifice. I thought it should be a sober moment. I thought we should be crying about Jesus going and sober. The next verse. Look at what happens in Luke, 40, in Luke 9, um, Luke 22, verse 24. The very next verse, the Bible says in verse 24, there was a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. 
I feel like they were looking at, ah, Jesus is about to die. Oh yeah, who is taking over? You know, who will be the greatest? It was a big deal to all of them. Who will call the shots? Who will be the greatest? And it's interesting to me what they're arguing about, but then even more interested, what was Jesus' response to it? So in Luke 9, verse 47, and Jesus gave the same response consistently. In Luke 9, 46, when they were arguing about it, Jesus wasn't even there. And then in verse 47, the Bible now says, Jesus knew their thoughts. They weren't speaking to him, but he knew their thoughts. So he brought a little child to his side and he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my father who sent me. Now look at this. Whoever is the least among you, Jesus said, is the greatest. Whoever is least among you is the greatest. Um, again, in Matthew 20, which we read, and verse 25, how did Jesus respond to their dispute about greatness? He called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And what I want to do is, I want us to look at that. Jesus said, whoever desires to be great among you, let him be. So I, I hear my disciples arguing about greatness, fighting over greatness, losing their temper over greatness. And I'm like, whoever desires to be great among you, let him be. But what I would have thought is Jesus would say, whoever desires to be great among you, that is an inordinate desire. Whoever desires to be great among you, that is from the pit of hell. Whoever desires to be great among you, that is Satan taking over your heart. But what did Jesus do? He affirmed their desire and showed them how to do it. He said, whoever desires to be great among you, oh, this is what you would do to be great. You guys desire greatness. And Jesus says, okay, here is how you will be great. Now, in this series we call Made From, over the last two weeks, we've been learning that we are made for more than this small intimidated life that the pressures and tensions of the world try to swamp us into. And we've been trying to find real practical help about how we can live that kind of life even in this day and age. And last week, I spoke about the incredible power of Deepa. This morning, what I want to speak to you on is the God-sponsored adventure into greatness. The God-sponsored adventure into greatness because we're going to find together that we are wired and we are called to a life of true enduring and I believe purpose-filled greatness we are wired for it and we're called to it two things that we see that Jesus did in Matthew chapter 20 in verse 25 that we read the Bible says that he started to tell them this is how the rulers of the world exercise greatness but it shall not be so among you in other words the first thing Jesus did is that he redefined greatness and then he started to show them that there's a world standard of greatness and all of that but that is not what you guys are going for and then in verse 26 he now gives them a roadmap to greatness that if you want to be great this is how you are going to go about it and so for many of us, what we're going to find is that we meet Jesus. And this is probably even the story of your own life. Um, I can relate to meeting Jesus, getting saved um, from that life of sin and all of that. And, you know, walking your journey of sanctification and, you know, just trying to know the Lord and walk with the Lord and all of that. And what you quickly find is that it starts to call you to lay down self-centered ambition. All right, and so you start laying that, and some of the things that you passionately desired as an unbeliever, it's like, man, I'm just letting go of this for the sake of Jesus. Like, I'm called to this life he calls me to, and rightly so, rightly so. Um, but if we're not careful, I think the problem is that if we're not careful, we then embrace a picture of a God 
who is more comfortable with us living small, you know, mediocre, unadventurous lives. We kind of have this picture of God that what he wants for a Christian is not to desire, not to pursue greatness, but just have this, um, you know, mediocre, average kind of life. Um, because it seems that that is how we bring him glory. You know, so, so, so you probably say things like, Lord, I laid all down for you. Every day and I laid all down for you. I started out wanting to be top of my class, but now all I desire is to be in your presence. You know, and just to make heaven, to just know what it means to be lost in the atmosphere of your glory, Jesus. What is it about trying to make my business work? What is, what is all of that? All I want is not to be winning grants. It's just to win victory over sin and over lust and all of that. Uh, and, and what is it about pursuing things of the world and desiring to, of impact and all of that? All I long for is to be with Jesus. And so we start to define humility as smallness. A small life, small dreams. And, and humility is no longer about our heart posture. It's about the size of our lives. And if your life is large, then you are probably proud. If your life is small, you are probably humble. And so don't think big. Don't dream of anything. Don't aspire. There's this Christian approach that seems to squeal at the idea of, of greatness or a desire for greatness. It's almost like, no, no, no. Ambition feels like a word that is not Christian. It's a wrong word. Okay, let me ask you guys this morning in this service. How many of you... Um, let me just check out. Should I, as a Christian, desire, it's basic, a better car? Let me see. Should I desire a better car? Okay, maybe 20% of people here. Should I desire to take my family on a vacation to a top destination in the world? Top destination, not like Ibora, like top destination. Um, should, I, should I desire to eat in like the best restaurant in town, like th just things like that. Just you know, okay. a few people, some don't think so. Should I? Should I desire earthly success? Should I desire earthly success? Okay. L now let's see the problem clearly. Let me try and show you what I think the problem is: sin and its desires. Because we must see it. Sin and its desires are wrapped around things, and so things like my passion, my desire, that thing in me that is ambitious, sin wraps around it, and so I now have sinful passions and sinful desires and all of that. So when I get saved. Right? I must learn what it means to be emptied of the abuse or the wrong use of my passion and of my desire so that I can now live my life for a God cause. All right? And so the things I have used it for are wrong, but the thing in itself is not wrong. The passion, the ambition, the desire is a God wiring in me, but I've always known to use it for my selfish purposes. All right? So what happens now is that I must learn to empty myself of the abuse so that I can now be in the right use. It's like saying I was a fornicator and then I got saved and then now I'm saved and then I just say, hey, you know, there's nothing in me that ever wants to have sex and all of that. No, that's not the point. The point is that you are misusing it in a wrong way, alright? So now you need God to save you from that, to heal you from that, so that you can now enjoy sex in the design of God, which is within marriage between a man and his wife. Amen? Alright, okay, good. So, if sin and selfishness had wrapped around our passions and, you know, our pursuits and ambitions, the solution is not to throw away all of that and become mediocre people. That's not the solution. That we lack any impact and we just feel like that honors God. The solution is to allow God to heal us of our selfishness and then use our passions and our ambitions in the right way and for the right reasons. So hear me well, everybody. Mediocrity is not God's solution for the abuse of greatness. I'll say that again. Mediocrity is not God's solution for the abuse of greatness. 
God's solution for the abuse of greatness is correct greatness. It's not mediocrity. Friends, our God is a great God. Our, are you hearing me this morning? Our God is a great God. Our God is an excellent God. He calls us to imitate him. Ephesians 5 says, be imitators of God. The God that we serve, the God that we worship is a great and an excellent God. He didn't create a mediocre world. He didn't create a world that you go out one day and you say, oh, these flowers are not really matching in color. God did things greatly, excellently. Oh, Lord our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. God is a great God and he calls us to imitate him. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Great is the Lord. He didn't give us a barely manageable salvation. He gave us an excellent salvation. God does things well. Our God is great. Amen. Are you glad to be in the house of a great God this morning? Can we give him great praise this morning? Our God is great. Our God is not mediocre. He's a great God. And he calls us to imitate him. And so today in Jesus' name, I pray that every one of us would hear God inviting us to be all that he made us to be. And we would refuse to accept the lie of the devil that makes us settle for less and live small and intimidated. You are made for more. Help me this morning look at somebody and say those words. Say, you are made for more. I always like when church neighbors get a warning on their neighbor. Tell them, you are made for. Like I'm warning you. You are. Because friends, we are wired for and we're called to live a life of true, enduring and purpose-filled greatness. All right, let's drive into this. In Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12 and from verse one, we're going to see the call of Abraham, who is our father of faith, all right? We'll see what God called him into. And today as we read this, I pray that you would also hear this call of God um, to you this morning. So Genesis chapter 12 from verse one. Now, the call of God to you is going to start from verse two, not verse one, so follow. Now, the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I'll show you. That doesn't apply to you, all right? Now, verse two, I will make you a great nation, God says I will bless you and I'll make your name great and you shall be a blessing I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse him who curses you and in you all in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed friends God designed for every one of us for our lives to count in a significant way to 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 fulfill a potential to be a blessing and friends, this is nothing about being competitive with your neighbors. This is about you being everything that God called you to be. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 41, there is one glory of the sun, there is another glory of the moon, and there is another glory of the stars, and each star differs from the other in glory. Everything God made has a glory attached to it. This is not about trying to be better than anybody. This is about you being everything that God called you to be. And when you are that, there's a glory that is attached to it. This is not about going to a prayer meeting where everybody say, I declare in Jesus' name, you will be better than everybody around you. You say, amen. Then you say, you will be better than your brothers. Then you say amen then you don't realize that your brother is next to you all right this is not a competition this is about knowing that there is a glory on everything that god has made god attaches a glory to everything that he made so when jesus disciples are in the conversation of greatness and their desire for greatness he doesn't condemn this desire he affirms it you are stepping into god's lane when there's a desire in your heart to do great things when there's a desire in your heart for greatness you are stepping into god's lane but now he starts by offering them a redefinition of greatness because in Luke chapter 22 verse 27 Jesus says who is greater is it the one who sits at the table or the one who serves culture will tell us it's the one who sits at the table the world standard will tell us it's the one who sits at the table but Jesus says yet I am among you as one who serves that I who am the greater one 
I am here serving. And he says, that's the mark of greatness. So let's redefine greatness the way Jesus defines it. It's the same thing he says in Matthew 20, verse 25. Jesus called them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to be great, somebody say whoever. Anybody who desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so friends, what we're going to find when we come into God's definition is that greatness is not marked by our ability to control or to lord it over others. Greatness is not marked by our ability to push, you know, gra-gra, whether economically, whether politically, whether socially. Greatness is not marked by our ability to, you know, exercise authority over others. It's not about how much influence you wield. It's not about the spotlight you enjoy. It's not about the car you drive. It's not about where you you live it's not about how much you have in your account or how many followers you have on social media Jesus gives us one simple mark of greatness one simple mark that defines greatness Jesus tells us that greatness is serving greatness is serving not see greatness is not the reward for serving greatness is serving we think that if i serve long enough god will reward me with greatness no 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 he says greatness is serving you know how i'm great i serve that's what jesus says that greatness is serving jesus will tell you that the measure of a man is not how many servants he has but how many people he serves greatness is serving and i hope you guys would realize this morning that we can't take a definition from the world's dictionary and then we can't take a definition from the world's dictionary then expect a sponsorship from god's account we can't define greatness the way the world defines it and then say god come and make me great no 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 if we want the sponsorship of god then we take god's definition amen greatness is serving greatness is god in god's definition is responding to a call of stewardship that you realize that you have been entrusted with a life you have been entrusted with giftings you have been entrusted with your time with all that you have with your family with the opportunities you have with a job with a business greatness is realizing that i have been entrusted and i embrace a responsibility of stewardship it's like i'm a waiter and i carry that tray and I understand that I'm a steward. And so things are put on that tray and they put drinks and they put food and they put all of that. And then I embrace the responsibility to serve. And so I start going about and serving and making life better for others. I'm making things better. I'm giving. I'm being generous with my life because I understand that I've been equipped as a steward and that places an expectation. And so what I would say to you today, stewards, as you carry that tray and there are things that are loaded on it and there are things that God has put, God has given you a life, God has given you the time you have, He has given you the education you have, He has given you the job you have, the family you have, God has put things on that tray for you. Here's what I would say to everybody, please do not mistake the tools of your stewardship assignment as the marks of greatness. They're not. They're tools for stewardship. The car you drive, it's a tool for stewardship. It's not the mark of your greatness. The money you have is a tool for stewardship. It's not the mark of your greatness. The family you have, it's a tool for stewardship. Don't mistake what was put on your tray as a, as a mark of greatness. It's a tool of stewardship. Amen, anybody? And the world would say what you have on your tray is what makes you but we understand that what makes us is a heart of a steward. It's a heart that defines us. It's not what you see on the outside. If I'm a soldier, I'll be given a gun. If I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a traffic warden, I'll be given a yellow jacket. You know, whatever. I am equipped to do what I do. Amen, anybody? God will sponsor the stewardship of my life. But don't mistake the tools of your stewardship assignment 
as the marks of your greatness. So what we're going to find as we track this journey of stewardship in scripture and things that the world can never understand. When we say the word greatness and the world can't understand because the world thinks that greatness is marked by what you see on our tray. But we understand that greatness is marked by heart to serve. And so let me show you, for example, why the world cannot understand God's definition of greatness. If greatness is stewardship, then I would say when I read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it is required that one who is given a trust must be found faithful, all right? From verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, let people consider us as servants of God and stewards of the mystery of God. Verse 2, it is required in one who has been given a trust that he be found faithful, all right? So if I'm a steward, and if my stewardship is greatness, then guess what? Faithfulness is greatness. Faithfulness is greatness. Greatness is faithfulness. What is greatness? Stewardship. What is stewardship? Faithfulness. So greatness is faithfulness. Let me say to you this morning, maybe she's just an old grandmother in the village that never learned how to read or write. Maybe she has never brushed her teeth for 20 years, but she faithfully raised her children and followed the revelation of God that she had. Maybe she couldn't explain in Greek and in Hebrew, you know, justification by faith and all of that, but she faithfully followed the revelation of God that she had. Listen, friends, that is greatness. And don't let the world lie to you that because she's just in one village, God says faithfulness is greatness. My prayer for everybody today is that you're not going to throw away greatness, looking for what is not lost. Faithfulness is greatness. Maybe you're here this morning and you and your spouse haven't gone on the vacation that you want, but by the grace of God, you are both holding faithful in your marriage. Friends, that is greatness. Maybe right now you are that woman with two mites standing by the treasury of the temple. And the Bible says that Jesus saw that woman and as she put her two mites in the, in, in the treasury, the Bible says that Jesus said, this, this, is, this, is, this is, Jesus said, I see the faithfulness of her generosity. And friends, that is greatness, that is great. In fact, Jesus told him that this is greater than all the other guys that were given more, that had more, but were not given as much sacrifice. Jesus said, this woman that is faithfully sacrificing, Jesus said, that is greatness. Can I say to somebody this morning, you've been showing up every day, honoring God with your tithe, the first 10% of everything, and you say, I'm staying faithful on this. And maybe you don't see the world shaking and angels singing and all of that. But listen, in your faithfulness, that is greatness. That's what God says. Yes, it's greatness. It's greatness to be faithful. Maybe your job is not rewarding you as much as it should, but you are showing up faithfully in season and out of season. God says that is greatness. Staying on your lane is greatness. Holding your stewardship faithfully. Is greatness. Again, let me say to you this morning, greatness is holistic. Psalm 71 verse 21, it says that you, would, you shall increase my greatness and you would comfort me on every side. Do you see how God links the greatness to every side? You would increase my greatness and you would comfort me on every side. God cares about every side. I want to say to people, God cares about your Monday as much as, about your Monday as much as he cares about your Sunday, right? I hope you know that. God cares about, not just your church service like, oh, we're great in church, but outside we're mediocre. God cares about every side of our lives. He cares about what you call your spiritual life as much as he cares about how you relate with people around you. I hope you know that. Okay, only two people here know it. I hope you know that. God cares about your whole life. Greatness is holistic. I don't want a greatness that is one-sided. Greatness is not about looking good for the ground, but behind is a broken heart. Greatness is holistic. Don't let the world lie to you because you are smiling on Instagram doesn't mean you are great. God says greatness is holistic. I don't just want to be a great leader in public. I want to be a great husband at home. I don't just want to be a great man outside. Everybody sees you. I want to be a faithful man to my children. Are you hearing me this morning? Greatness is holistic. Don't chase shadows, friends. 
God calls us to greatness, but he defines it for us. Greatness is not just a fanfare. Greatness is not how many people like your post on social media. Are you hearing me this morning? Greatness is holistic. Greatness, again, is not just that you pray well and your business is failing. Greatness is holistic. Holistic. Greatness is long-term. Greatness is viewed from the lens of eternity. Greatness is you using your influence to make others better. Greatness is kingdom, godly influence. Isaiah 61 verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor that I can use the anointing and the influence of God on my life to bless others. In you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That is greatness. Bring, bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Acts chapter 10 verse 38, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. He went about doing good. Hey, can this be our going about this week? Doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. Everywhere he went. And so, okay, let's break this. If, if Jesus says, this is the redefinition of greatness. It's not what the world says. <laughs> it's a definition of greatness. This is real greatness. Now, let's, and real greatness is not, let me show you Luke chapter 1 verse 15. Let me just show you one scripture. I like this. For he will be great before the Lord. I like it. I'm not asking, are you great by world standard? I'm not asking, are you great on Forbes? I'm asking, are you great before the Lord? Is that your prayer this morning? That when the things that matter are weighed, that you'll be great before the Lord. Amen? Amen. Okay, only like 20% of people like this sermon. Are you, are you in church this morning? Man, when I said this in first service, people were dancing in the Holy Ghost. Like, I said he will be great before the Lord. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. So if God gives us a redefinition of greatness, then I think the next question is, hey, if that's it, then how do we get there? So the second thing he does is that Jesus gives us a roadmap to greatness. Let me try and show you the roadmap to greatness. Because in Matthew 20, uh, 25, he defines it. But in verse 26, he then says, Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. So friends, according to Jesus, the pursuit of greatness is a pursuit of stewardship. That's how you pursue greatness. You pursue stewardship. You know what you do in that party or whatever? You pick up a tray and start looking for how to serve. That's the pursuit of greatness according to Jesus. That you don't sit down and cross your feet and say, they have not served here. No, Jesus says, if you want to be great, pick up that tray and then we will start loading that tray. Your greatness now starts to attract, all right? Your stewardship starts to attract more and more and more into your life, into who you are. But how do you pursue it? You pursue greatness by pursuing stewardship. That's what Jesus says. That's the roadmap. So I want to say to people this morning, pick up a tray and desire to serve. Desire to serve. Let your life be a mission to serve. Everywhere you are, serve in church, but even serve outside church. Let your life be a mission to serve. Let me put it this way. Don't just work a job. Pursue service. Don't just, te don't just teach or do. Pursue to serve. Don't just do business. Pursue service. Don't just work tech. I do tech. Pursue to serve. Pursue stewardship. Don't just be in a marriage. Pursue stewardship. Don't just pay school fees. Pursue to serve your children. Pursue a life of service. Jesus says this is the roadmap of greatness. And we will pursue service. 
So let me give you an example. I believe that business, if you're doing business, I believe that business should be profitable. And as you sit down, if, I always say, if you're doing business as a Christian, please make sure you're doing business. Don't do charity in the name of business, okay? So if you're doing business, you know, do it well, structure it well. Business should be profitable, all right? That's, what, that's the point of business, to make profit. And you should be maximizing the profit possible. But at the heart of it, beyond just what you are making, I'm asking, what are you giving? You should be so consumed with a sense of, this is why my business exists, to serve this need. Are you hearing me this morning? We are only like five people hearing me. Are you hearing me today? Pursue serving. We feel like greatness is the reward for serving. But no, Jesus says that serving is greatness. The pattern of redemption makes us to seek to serve, not to be served. I saw this quote from Erwin McManus, I like it, Erwin McManus, I like it. If you go to the edge of servanthood, you would find yourself standing on the brink of greatness. I thought that's good. See, friends, the, the big question, let me tell you, for all the prayers you pray, God, make me great, make my family great. Listen, the big question is not whether God can give greatness or whether God desires greatness for us. That's not the question. It is whether we can and to what extent we can steward. That's the question. Can God give greatness? Does God want greatness on your life? That's no longer the question. The question is, can you be a steward? Because it is stewardship that attracts. And I'm saying to you today, we're made for more than a small, intimidated life. We are called to an adventure of greatness. So what would a servant's heart look like? Philippians chapter 2. Please come on the keyboard. I should start closing. Philippians chapter 2 from verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Hey, fellow Liverpool fan, how good was our... Which one should we even celebrate today? We won, we won the first of our four trophies last yes. Sunday. Yeah, that yes. was really good. Yes. Um, and those of you who are praying in church, you know we're going to win all four. Yeah. When you saw Nunes goal going yesterday, you know somebody was praying, right? That 99th <laughs> minute, it was, it was amazing. So on behalf of all Liverpool fans in church, we just want to thank you for your support. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you right? And keep celebrating with us as we win all four, four yes. all four this season, right? We were praying for healing for um, Nunes. Yes. Now let's pray for healing for Salah. He also yes. needs to come back. Man City yes. next week, Sunday. Yes. Right, right, okay. How do we do it again? Yeah, amen. He has done it before. He will do it again. Fantastic. All right? Good stuff. Thank you, church. Thank you, church. We love you. Where were we on the sermon? (laughs) Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. But uh, let this mind be in you, thank you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is how you should think. This is the heart you should have. This is the attitude you should have. The same that Christ Jesus had. And, and what was that? Who being in the, very, in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But look at this. But made himself of no reputation. So what is the heart of a servant? First thing, he's not self-obsessed. Taking the form of his bond servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled. Somebody say humbled. humbled. <coughs> Excuse me. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Sacrificial. Four things we notice about the heart of a servant. Number one, he's not self-obsessed. Number two, he's humble. Number three, he's obedient. A steward is obedient. God has the right over your life to tell you what to do or not to do. We are obedient because we are on an assignment. A steward is obedient. And number four, he's sacrificial. He sacrifices. Let go of self and that obsession to live a life of sacrifice 
is what we see about his steward in Jesus. And in verse 9, it says, therefore, therefore, because of this, therefore, God also has highly exalted him. This is real greatness and has given him the name which is above every other name. And so, friends, what I've tried to do is to show you the redefinition of greatness. And then I've showed you a roadmap to greatness. Now, my invitation is that we will be on a pursuit of greatness. We must be on a pursuit of greatness. It's not enough to say greatness is just somewhere out there for some fancy people. No, God calls every one of us to be on a pursuit of greatness because, listen, you are made for you are wired for and you are called to a life of true enduring greatness purpose-filled greatness we must constantly be emptying ourselves of selfish ambition to serve a greater purpose we must be on a pursuit of greatness by a pursuit of stewardship we should constantly be striving to be stewards because that's the mark of greatness in Philippians chapter 2 verse 3, this is how we empty ourselves of selfish ambition, of the corruption that we have known in our former lives. This is how we empty ourselves. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. This is one verse that you can meditate on over and over. It can be a defining point for your life. God, I pray that nothing will be done through selfish ambition. I pray my desires will not be for selfish ambition. I pray the things I'm trying to get, the things I'm trying to do will not be for selfish ambition he says let nothing nothing be done nothing be done through selfish ambition nothing don't work through selfish ambition negotiate a better pay but not through selfish ambition because you want to maximize the profitability of the gift of God in your life are you hearing me strive to maximize your profit not for selfish ambition it's not about you you're part of something bigger than yourself let nothing be done through selfish ambition you're not trying to prove a point to anybody you're not trying to impress anybody. You're not trying to show those who say you can't make it that you can make it. Who cares? Who cares proving a point? <laughs> Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. We pursue the heart of a steward because this is the mark of greatness. And maybe just in a very practical way, how can we not do it through selfish ambition? You know, sometimes you actually started out because I'm doing this for the glory of God, but somewhere in the middle of the line, you feel like, is this becoming about me? And so what I would say is that we need to learn like those elders in Revelations to bring our crowns and cast them before the Lord. That's a very practical thing to do again and again and bring it. Yes, I want a victory, but I bring it to the glory of God. That's why I come back in worship week in, week out. And every time we come back saying to God be the glory, to God be the glory, to God. Oh man, I did so well with that, but to God be the glory. Oh God, thank you that I got that break, but to God be the glory. Thank you God that this is going well, but to God be the glory. Wow, what a blessed family I've got, but to God be the glory. Casting my crowns. Casting my crowns. And have you ever wondered that the Bible says they keep going down casting their crowns? And they've been doing that for all eternity. Haven't they casted them all? But we keep winning more victories. And we keep needing to bring it back. Keep casting my crowns. Coming back. We need a constant purification of our hearts. Don't you think so? Because every here and there it starts to become about you. Every day and there, you just go on Google and type your name and just smile and get a little bit impressed, don't you? Sorry, not in this service, sorry. It's first service people, they're very vain. But that's why I come back in the word of God, in the place of prayer, in worship. It's purifying me. 
We need a washing, don't we? We need it. We need it. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. I'm grateful to serve, but the truth is even in serving, it can become about selfish ambition. And so I need to come back again and in the place of prayer and saying to God, be the glory and worshiping and keeping my focus on him. You know what I'm doing? I'm keeping my head straight. I'm focused on the one that deserves the glory. The one that deserves all the praise. The one that is really at work here. Let it all be to his glory. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. God's solution for the abuse of greatness is not mediocrity. So don't sit down there thinking, well, I'm not even chasing anything great in my life. That's not God's solution. God's solution is the right use of greatness. He calls you to greatness. He calls you to a life that counts. I don't care your background. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care your qualifications or not. God calls you to a life of impact, a life of greatness. This is the call of God on you. And we're going to get it right. We cannot be lazy Christians that don't have drive. We can't be. You sit down like, whatever will be, will be. God, it's only God that knows tomorrow. It's only God that knows tomorrow. We'll just be. See? You're not called to be a lazy Christian. Are you hearing me this morning? The Holy Spirit that was given to you is not an accomplice for mediocrity. Whatever you do, do it well. How excellent is your name in all the earth, God? And that is the name that we carry. Whatever you do, do it well. Whatever is in your hands to do, make a mark and do it excellently unto God. Whether you're academics, eh, it's not by grades that we have a future, I know. But get the best grades to honor the gift of God in your life. Make the best of it. If you're building a business, I would say this again and again. Build it well. Like a Christian, like a child of God that is anointed. Not like someone that is just giving excuses. Hey, it's the economy. I know it's the economy, but people prosper here. There's grace upon your life. It's grace upon your life. If you're working a job, work well, work hard, work right. Let Jesus be glorified in you. You complain from Monday to Saturday and then come and sing on Sunday. So what's the point of your worship on Sunday? What's the point of it? If you cannot influence how you work and how you live. And friends, greatness is not somewhere out there in our future. It is right here, right now. If we would embrace the right heart to do it. Gave somebody five talents, gave another two, gave another one. One came back with excuses. Two others came back with profit. The one that came back with excuses, he said, you are wicked and lazy. I don't want to be that kind of Christian. Greatness is a pursuit to maximize your life. To maximize your life. We must be excellent in what we do. We must not be lazy Christians. Christians that have no drive. Can I encourage you today, friends? Can we dream God-inspired dreams? Can you dream God-inspired dreams? I'm encouraging you today. Can you dream in a way that the Holy Spirit inspires? I believe that we need, listen, purified, God-honoring, kingdom-building ambition. Say that again. Purified, God-honoring, kingdom-building ambition. I believe we need it. Let me try and help you this morning. Who wins when Christians are not audacious? Who wins when Christians don't live full lives, influential lives? Who wins? Who wins? Who wins when Christians are just broke on one side of town? Who wins? Obviously not God. Obviously not you. Who wins? I'll suggest to you, there's one winner. When Christians don't become all that they're called to be, the kingdom of darkness wins. The world that we live, influence is always happening. If you are not influencing, somebody is. If you are not influencing, I promise you someone, this is spiritual warfare. There's a kingdom of God. There's a kingdom of darkness with the agenda. And God is saying, I want you to be all that you can be in my name. And then you stop short on that. Guess who wins? Guess who we're giving ground to? 
I believe that the devil delights in Christians being mediocre. Whether academically, whether in secular spaces, whether on your job, whether economically, I believe that the devil delights in Christians being mediocre. Even as a church, I believe that the devil delights when we just don't do things well. Do a good service. We are giving excuses. Do you know what we're losing? Do you know who is winning? Do you know who is not finding Christ? Do you know who is walking into an experience and not, and not receiving the possibilities? The devil delights when Christians do not maximize their lives. The money that you are not making, somebody else is making it. Creativity that you are not using, eh? creativity that you are not using is what is giving some miserable so-called celeb popularity. That's all. That's all. I'm not in competition with anybody. But I want to maximize the ground that has been given to me. That's all. I just want to be all that God calls me to be. I just want to be faithful in my space. But I don't want to give grounds to the devil because I am stopping short. I want to be all that God calls me to be. The devil delights in Christians being mediocre. If you're not wielding influence, somebody is. It's a battle of influence. The resource that should be sponsoring the kingdom of God is sponsoring something else. Sponsoring somewhere. So let me summarize. What do I think should be your heart posture? I believe that your heart posture should be that you should be passionate to serve. Passionate to serve. You should be driven to maximize. And you should be striving to be connected to God's kingdom cause. Passionate to serve. Driven to maximize. And striving to be connected to God's kingdom cause. As I close this morning, maybe you do hear everything I've said. And it feels like, this is some pressure to live up to. Maybe it does feel like a, almost like a pressure and demand to stand up to and to live up to. Maybe even when you hear sounds like greatness and calls like greatness, you almost start to feel like, like an imposter syndrome, almost like, like, not me. I shouldn't be there. Maybe you feel like talk of greatness is beyond you. The last thing I'm going to do this morning as I close is I want to talk about the provision for greatness. Because indeed, there is a redefinition of greatness. There's a roadmap for greatness. There's a pursuit of greatness. But we must not forget that there is a provision for greatness. I like the wordings in Psalm 18, verse 35. The psalmist says of God, look at that last line, your gentleness has made me great. Your gentleness has made me great. I'm so grateful that God desires to do a work in us. Patiently, wherever we're from, wherever you've been through, whatever is happening in your world, whatever is happening around you. I'm so grateful that God loves to do a work in us gently, not pressuring us, not overwhelming us, not, not under some pressure of what we cannot be. But God desires to do a gentle, affirming work in us that we would look at God and say, wow, God, your gentleness has made me great. God loves to do that kind of work in us. And just through redemption and how Jesus died for us to make us right with God and the walk of sanctification, saving us from our selfishness and emptying all our vain ambition and correcting the abuse of our wrong sense of ambition, God starts to do a work in us. And so from the power of the blessing of God that he spoke from creation and he said to Adam, be fruitful and multiply and, and subdue the earth and have dominion over him. And there was that force of the blessing upon man. And, and when Jesus was also going and, and he breathed upon his disciples and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And I believe there was also like the force of the blessing and the power of the Holy Spirit. See, through all of God's working in us, this is what I want to say. Friends, you have everything it takes to be everything God calls you to be. You have everything it takes to be everything God calls you to be. I feel like personalizing that. Would you say that with me? Say, I have everything it takes 
to be everything God calls me to be. God doesn't call us to this life that we're pressured and we're freaked out and we can't know. You have everything it takes to be everything God calls you to be. To live strong, to live bold, to be faithful, to be a steward, to serve, to live your life in obedience, in humble sacrifice, to stand for great things, to make impact, to dream. God inspired dreams. Listen, you have everything that it takes to be everything that God calls you to be. And today I want to remind you of the value that God has put on you. God has put value on you by putting himself on you. This is not some motivational speaker telling you it's in you. You know, you can do it if you think it. The truth is you can't. There's nothing valuable in us for ourselves. But when Jesus, literally God becoming flesh, and he died a death that he had no business dying, and was raised back to life on the third day, so that he could put that life within us. And then he put that value on us and says, I buy you. I put this value on you. Friends, our lives are valuable because of Jesus. And today I want to remind you that Jesus sees potential in you. He sees more than you see in yourself. He sees value. But more than that, can I even encourage you, more than just what he sees, can I remind you and encourage you that there is a supply of his grace for you to be all that he calls you to be. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, it says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you, always, somebody say always. Um, in all seasons, always. Somebody say always. Um, both in 2024 and in 1997, always. Somebody say always. Always having all sufficiency in all things. May have an abundance for every good work. The good work of greatness that he calls you to. He says, I will supply grace. Can I remind you, everything God expects of you, he supplies in you by his grace. I hope you know that. Let me show you this. Flip the translation for me. Give me CJB. Moreover, God has the power to provide you with every gracious gift in abundance so that always in every way you will have all you need yourselves and be able to provide abundantly for every good cause. Can we believe for that this morning? Amen. And so friends, when we see through the lens of God's supply, greatness for us will not be a pressure to deal with. It will be an invitation to respond to. It's not a pressure. It's an invitation that we're called to. And my invitation this morning is that we respond to it. That we become stewards. Stewards that are passionate to serve, driven to maximize, and striving to be connected to God's cause. To God's great cause. Because God is doing a great work in the house. 2 Timothy chapter 2, my last scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20. says, in a great house there are many vessels. This is one more mark of greatness I'll give to you this morning. It says, in a great house there are many vessels. There are some of gold and of silver, but of, also of wood and of clay. Some for honor and some for dishonor. Now, if anyone, if anyone, wood, clay, gold, silver, anyone cleanses himself from dishonor, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. I want to encourage somebody today. We get to be in a great house. We get to be a part of a great move of God. I don't care whether you are wood, clay, gold, or silver. Today we can choose to be people of honor, cleansed from the filthiness of selfishness, and given to a life of a great purpose in the hands of a great God. Your life can count for great things. Your life can count for great impact. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children. Your life will count for great things, not just in the story of now, but in the story of things to come. There is greatness upon you. There is greatness upon you. There's a great story that God is telling through your life. Don't settle for small. Don't settle to be intimidated. I'm not talking today about the economy. I'm talking about the call of God upon your life. You were made for more 
than an intimidated life but made for more and just waking up and dragging your feet on the streets God has appointed you and anointed you for a great story in Jesus name Amen I want to pray for you church this morning I want to pray a blessing upon you I do believe I believe in the power of a blessing and I want to pray it upon us today I know that as you hear these words there are people who would have decisions to make what should I do with this and all that we've said over this series made for more maybe what do I do with this what do I do with that how do I figure this out there might be a lot of decisions but today I just want to pray um, for the people of this house I want to pray a blessing upon you and so if you're not standing please stand everybody online please stand and today Lord in the name of Jesus I pray for a lifting up of the heads of the downcast i pray this morning god for people that are weighed down under the pressure of life and what's happening around i pray today that just by the empowerment of the holy spirit there will be a lifting up of the heads of the downcast today i pray and herald a sound of victory for people that are in struggling places right now whether struggling with voices of the past struggling you know just in a painful process struggling people struggling this morning i herald a sound of victory for you in the name of jesus and today i pray pray a blessing of favor and a sponsorship of grace to manifest in your life, in your in what you do, in your family, on your business, on your job, in your academics. I pray for a blessing of the favor of God and the sponsorship of grace. I pray that from today you will know you are not on your own assignment. You are not on your own pursuit. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And the hands of Zerubbabel that laid the foundation will complete it with shouts of grace, grace, grace. I pray that will be your shout grace grace at every point in the story there will be a sponsorship of grace you will know it that you are backed by grace you will know it that you are sponsored by grace there will be a sound of favor upon what you do upon who you are upon the building of your home and of your life upon all that you are i pray today for a mark of favor for the sponsorship of the grace of God. Today I pray people will enjoy open doors that only God's favor could bring. I pray for you today, church. You will prosper. You will do great things in the name of Jesus. You will write great stories. You will enjoy influence. Influence, world-changing influence. I pray for you in the name of Jesus. You will enjoy creative expressions that will touch your generation for good. That there will be a harvest in the kingdom because of the working of God in your life. And today I pray for you that your children will come into a great inheritance. I pray for you, your children will come into a great inheritance. An inheritance of things money can buy, an inheritance of things money can never buy. Your children will come into a great inheritance. I pray, just like we saw with Jacob, you will dig wells for generations. You will live for more than the pain around you. You will live a story of impact to the glory of God and today I pray for people who are just following God's plan and maybe that there's that subtle voice of intimidation within you telling you that you are settling for less oh look at your mates look at your colleagues today I pray for you you will find deep fulfillment like never before there'll be a peace that passes understanding there'll be a joy that words cannot explain there will be an, a, a confidence and an establishment that is more than anything that the world can give as you follow the course of God's plans for your life. Today I pray for you, you will not back out. You will not be derailed, you will not be distracted. You will not let go of what is greatness for mediocrity. You will not let go of what God calls great for what the world calls great. You will not lose what you have found because of what is not missing. 
I pray in the name of Jesus that you will be established and Jesus will be glorified in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stay standing this morning. I would be so honored to give an invitation to somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Don't know how you came to church today. Don't know who you are, what's happening in your world. Um, maybe just chasing the shadows, living life for what it is. But if you'll be honest today, you can't boldly say that you're in the right standing with God. You can't boldly say. Maybe you've been around church, but you can't boldly say. Maybe at some point in your life, you had even made a decision to follow Jesus. But as we speak today, you know that you are far away from that. You've made poor choices. You've lost your way with God. Um, or maybe you've never even done that before. And you just came to church. Maybe you've been coming. Maybe you're new around here. It really doesn't matter. The one question I have is, can you boldly say you are in the right place with God? Now, let me help you. If anybody here today says they're in the right place with God, there's only one way that that can happen. It's that we put our trust, our dependence in what Jesus did for us. 2,000 years ago on that cross, he died a death. He had no business dying. Man, Jesus was innocent. He was not guilty, but he died the death of the guilty. Why? Because we are guilty. And so when we put our trust, if you did that and you did that for me then it is accounted for you God credits it to you and then you claim that and you today can be in a right standing with God isn't that beautiful and that's what I want to invite you to today and so as we stand to honor your decision can I request that every head be bowed every eye closed anybody online wherever you are let no two hands be joined together let everybody have a right to make a decision in this moment what are you going to do with it and my question today is can you boldly say that you are in the right place with God if you say you're speaking to me, I'm not right with God. I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, right where you are, God sees you. He knows you. That voice nudging you, that's the Holy Spirit telling you today to accept Jesus into your heart. And so on the count of three, wherever you are, I just want you to put your hand on your chest. He sees you. He knows you. All right. And today will be a miracle. Whether you're in this building or online anywhere, I don't want you to hold back. Jesus is calling out to you today. All right. Are you ready? One, two, three. Right where you are, put your hand on your chest. God sees you. He knows you. God bless you. God bless you. Around this room. God bless you. God bless you. Everybody doing that in this room, God bless you. I see hands across the room today. God bless you. That's a miracle happening in your life. I also believe that there are people online this morning. That is a miracle. You're doing the right thing. You are doing the absolute right thing. Nobody takes a step towards God in Jesus and it's wrong. You are doing the absolute right thing. God bless you. That's a miracle. You know what? This is a family, not a crowd. And so I'm going to ask the whole church to join in. We're all going to say prayer together with everybody who has their hand on their chest. But everybody who put your hand on your chest, I want you to say these words with boldness. Know that God hears your voice today, all right? can we all go together say heavenly father i come to you today because you've made a way for me to come through the death the burial and the resurrection of your son jesus say i believe with all my heart that jesus christ is the son of god and he's the savior of the world i make today the day that i boldly confess jesus christ as my savior and my Lord, please forgive me of the past and please give me a whole new start. I surrender my life to you. I will follow you all the days of my life. Say, so please forgive me of all I've done wrong. So I boldly declare I'm a child of God. I'm washed clean. I'm accepted. I am loved. And one day I'll be with you in heaven. In Jesus' name, who says amen and praise the Lord this morning. 
Thank you so much for joining us here at Sycamore Church. If you pray that prayer at the end, we are so excited about your decision for Jesus and we would love to help you get established in your relationship with him. So please let us know about your decision at www.sycamore.church forward slash Jesus. There, you'll also find all kinds of resources to help you build your relationship with Jesus. If you enjoyed this message, we would love for you to subscribe wherever you are listening or visit www.sycamore.church forward slash resources. Again, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.